Hello and welcome to the Global Insight from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. I'm your host, Charles Hecker, bringing you clear insight every two weeks in an age of increasingly dynamic risk and intensifying connectivity. Today, we're going to be discussing some of the key findings from our Capacity to Combat Corruption Index for Latin America, which we co-produce annually with America's Society and Council of the Americas. This index and report assess Latin American countries' ability to uncover, punish, and deter graft. Corruption has been a critical hurdle for Latin American countries for a long time, denting growth, weakening democracy and governance, and undermining the human rights of millions of citizens. But it's only recently that major anti-corruption investigations have begun removing the veil of impunity for the political and business elite. While the COVID-19 pandemic creates many new challenges for the region, the underlying issue of corruption continues to be critical. The anti-corruption enforcement trends in the coming year will likely be shaped by the economic, social, and political shocks which are currently shaping the region. Tomas Favaro is a director for global risk analysis in our Sao Paulo office. Uh, Tomas, thank you very, very much for dialing in. Thank you for the invitation, Chuck. It's a pleasure. And also joining us from Sao Paulo is Gert Albers. Gert is a partner in the firm and the head of our office in Brazil. Gert, it's nice of you to join us. Great to be here. And rounding out the panel is Francisco Garcia, who's an associate analyst in global risk analysis in our office in Mexico City. Francisco, welcome. Thank you. Let's start by asking you guys all together about the index itself. Someone jump in and tell us what the index actually measures. I can take that, Chuck. Maybe it's worth explaining briefly what the index doesn't measure, because I think that'll help contextualize what we're actually trying to achieve with the index. So we don't look at perceptions of corruption. There are other indices out there that measure that. And we're also not looking at the economic damages generated by corruption. The index really focuses on the capacity countries have to do something about the problem. And doing something about the problem is obviously, as you mentioned, preventing in the first place, detecting, and then punishing when it happens. And the reason we thought that would be useful bit of information for both governments as well as for companies is that when we look at Latin America over the past couple of years, and certainly since about 2014, when the famous car wash investigation started in Brazil and then spread out across Latin America, what we see is that some countries advanced more quickly and more effectively than others investigating and enforcing anti-corruption measures. And we were being asked by our clients what the enforcement landscapes was like in, in several of these countries. And we were also very curious to know why, for example, Brazil was relatively successful in combating corruption versus, for example, Mexico that you know had similar levels of corruption, at least in terms of perception, if not worse, but was not really getting anywhere. And that was really the reason that we thought looking at the capacity to combat corruption would be an interesting undertaking. And we can get into the details of what we're actually doing or how we measure that, but that's in summary what the index measures. Another thing the index doesn't measure is specific scandals and their impact on perception of corruption or the economic consequences of corruption. My main focus was in Mexico and Central America and the Caribbean. And the question I got a lot was, well, what did this scandal 
cause for whatever country's ranking. That's not actually what we're doing. Even if the president, even if a huge amount of money is involved in a corruption scandal, that's not really the focus of this study. That's an interesting point, Francisco, because I think one of the other bits of feedback we've had from our clients is the following. Perceptions are very much formed by incidents. So where there are major scandals, as we saw in Brazil, but in many parts of Latin America, the more scandals you have, the worse perception about corruption seems to be. But it doesn't really answer whether something's being done about the issues. This is the second year that we've issued this report, isn't it? And the list of countries that you're including in the report is actually growing. That's right. We started with eight last year. And quite frankly, we started with eight because it was the first time we were doing this. It was quite a heavy lift to put the index together. Certainly the methodology, the index is based on significant public records research, you know, from reports by World Economic Farm, World Bank, Harvard Electoral Integrity Project and the like, and is also based on input we received on a structured survey we put together with Council of the Americas with anti-corruption experts across region, including experts from control risks. So eight was plenty to do last year. This year, we expanded to 15. And those 15 countries now cover 95% of, of Latin America. But what's interesting in this year's report, besides having a pretty much an overview of 95% of the GDP of Latin America, is that we can now also look comparatively at some of the countries we looked at last year. So now that we've established we've got 95% of the economic activity of the region covered. Let's jump in and tell us a little bit about what some of the, the headlines are. What are the general findings from the index? What we uncovered is that the anti-corruption enforcement wave, which really started in earnest, as I mentioned, in 2014, but spread across the region and intensified in many places. And I think Brazil and Peru are two locations where there's been quite relentless anti-corruption enforcement has stagnated or in some places actually receding. So there are some concerning trends that this anti-corruption movement is losing steam. I'm going to pause there because I think Tomas and Francisco may have some specifics to add to that. Well, one of the main things that came up when I was talking to people in the countries I covered was how the, the index actually highlights that there is no one-size-fits-all corruption framework that could be legislated and, and applied the same way in every single country. A huge example for me here was the Dominican Republic, where the people would tell me, you know, it's great that you're measuring us in comparison to Mexico and Chile and, and Brazil. But the reality is it's not going to happen the same way here for a variety of reasons. And that actually started a whole other discussion where it was about how, depending on national context, the capacity to combat corruption may actually look different and react differently to specific situations. Tomas, there was a decline, wasn't there, in Brazil's overall score. What is this telling us about what's happening with corruption capacity in Brazil? Yes. So the score for Brazil is Pierce, one of the sharpest decline among the countries which we had survey on both years. It's fair to say that Brazil's capacity to combat corruption has been undermined by a variety of political and non-political actors in Brazil over the past 12 months. I think on one hand, let's look at what the executive branch has contributed to that. I think our big flagship initiative on that was probably President Jair Bolsonaro's appointment of a attorney general that broke ranks or circumvented the established nomination procedures so he could choose someone who, quote unquote, was aligned with him in his own words. We also saw some concerning developments in the judicial branch, notably the Supreme Court's decision that, you know, sentenced defendants can exhaust all of their appeals while out of prison. 
reversing its own decision from 2016 and letting to a release of many high-profile targets of the car wash investigation. And last but not least, I think also the legislative branch contributed to that decline by significantly watering down an anti-crime bill that was proposed by the government and put forward in Congress. It was eventually approved, but again, a very, very much watered down version of what had initially been anticipated. Francisco, back to you for just a second, because from report to report, the index doesn't show that much has changed in Mexico. And AMLO, Andres Manuel López Obrador, entered office promising to put an end to corruption. So what do we make of this? Is this campaign rhetoric or is there something else happening? This may be a controversial opinion, but I would say, yes, it was campaign rhetoric. <laughs> because actually, when we were developing the the new uh, ranking for Mexico, at first, the the points that Mexico got in the second year were a lot lower than than in the first year. And the main question in the Mexico City team and in, in the team developing the index was there weren't any huge legislative changes. There wasn't a huge setback that we could pinpoint. There are investigations going on, granted more related to organized crime and, and money laundering by government figures, but really it didn't seem like much had changed. And yet the, the rating was a lot lower at first. And the main reason we found was that actually, yes, during his campaign, President Lopez Obrador was very focused on anti-corruption rhetoric. His actual plan for it was very superficial. It, it mainly gave platitudes about combating conflicts of interest and enhancing honesty and things that couldn't really be measured, you know? And when he became president, nothing really changed. Nothing really happened in, in the terms of corruption. And even institutions that were legislated in the previous administration, he's basically ignored them. There really hasn't been a game change in terms of corruption, especially not to the extent that people expected during his campaign. Just complementing on that, I think there's an interesting angle to address here when comparing Mexico and Brazil, which have presidents, you know, from opposite sides of the, the political spectrum, but who campaigned or surfed this anti-corruption wave, you know, by campaigning on the strong anti-platform campaign. And it's interesting to see through the CCC some of the results that we can capture. And I think the end line here is that political will is certainly welcome, but it's clearly insufficient to significantly change a country's capacity to combat corruption. This is a job that is much better performed by institutions, institutions that need to be solid, that need to be independent from the current administration, regardless of the country or of their party uh, affiliation. And it's interesting to see how both presidents, at least in, the, in this current version of the CCC index, obviously their mandates span for a much longer period. So the juries will be still out there, but at least specifically when it comes to 2020, it's interesting to see that gap between the discourse and the reality of both countries. I just wanted to just highlight something, just to contextualize some of the things we measure. Just to be clear, when we look at the score of a country, it's actually composed of legal capacity. So what, you know, the tools a country has to actually combat corruption, which include independence of the institutions and, and uh, existence of framework of, of, of collaboration instruments like leniency agreements and how well they're used or how effectively they're used. We have a second 
category, which is democracy and political institutions. And the third one, we look at civil society and media. So it's quite a comprehensive coverage of different factors. One of the reasons why Brazil declined was because particularly on the legal capacity credentials, as Tomás had just described, it pretty much regressed in all of the legal capacity variables. There are seven of them in that category. So just as a compliment to what Francisco and Tomás mentioned. Garrett, there are a few other countries that we want to talk about. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about how the marketplace has reacted to this survey. The first edition and the second edition both received extensive coverage across the region, all the way up and down Latin America. And a lot of other countries with a lot of other surveys will try very hard to jockey their position in the results. What's the reaction to the survey been? In terms of the response, it's always a little daunting when you put out an index which points to government's capacity. And one of the huge benefits we've had in partnering with America's Society Council of the Americas is they're a think tank. They are a non-for-profit organization, a very serious, incredible organization throughout Latin America, very significant relationship networks throughout Latin America, including in government. And I think by joining forces with them, we've been able to create an index which serves a number of purposes. It serves the purpose of fostering high-level policy discussions and debates. And as a matter of fact, one of the results from publishing the index was that we were invited by one of the main opposition Mexican political parties to address what the index says about where Mexico is on the anti-corruption side and what types of initiatives they should be taking to try and bring that agenda forward. And at the same time, it also helps companies understand, you know, as part of their risk assessment, not just how risky is the country, but how how exposed are our operations in a country, right? The more enforcement there is, the more exposed they are. Media has picked up on the stories and I would say uh, pretty much without exception, have pretty much endorsed and have supported, I think, the findings of the index and it's promoted significant public debate. And I think the index is now also being referenced both in public and private sector as a kind of reference in the market to gauge what's happening on the anti-corruption front. So surprisingly positive, surprisingly in the sense that, you know, we're expecting perhaps a little bit more skepticism or perhaps some negativity or, or whatever, but it's been hugely comforting to see how well the index has been received and how well it's being used. There is a particular success story in this year's index, and that's Peru. Should we expect Peru to continue to be sort of the rising star of corruption fighting in Latin America? Well, Peru is actually the only country of the eight we looked at last year, which saw an increase in its score. And that in itself stood out. Peru has made incredible strides and, and quite against the odds, quite frankly. You know, there are a couple of reasons for it, but certainly President Vizcarra, since he was elected into office, had a very, very consistent anti-corruption agenda, even with, you know, quite a divided parliament. And he's done a remarkable job in continuing the momentum behind these anti-corruption initiatives. As a matter of fact, just last Sunday, Congress eliminated parliamentary immunity, which is, you know, something many 
country's only dream of being able to do, certainly when there are so many congressmen and, and governors and former presidents, you know, under investigation or in prison. So that is a very positive story. It's hard to both with Brazil, just to be very clear, Brazil still relatively fares well. It is fourth in the index. It has a very strong legal capacity still relative to other countries. So it's hard to state that we're looking at trends. You know, Brazil's on a downward trend. Peru is on an upward trend. There are concerning signs about Brazil, which Tomás had flagged. There are encouraging signs about Peru. And as I mentioned, this recent development on Sunday is, is certainly one of them. But there are significant challenges both countries will continue to face in the year ahead. So we could very well see in the next you know, 10 months or so Peru slip and Brazil further increase or, or vice versa. It's really challenging at this stage to, to call out a trend, Chuck. So it would be difficult not to talk a little bit about the pandemic. The newspapers are filled with stories from around the world about fraud and corruption in the procurement of medical supplies and in the distribution. And, you know, just wait until a vaccine is developed and every country in the world is grabbing for every dose that it can get its hands on. For everyone on the panel, tell us a little bit about the impact that the pandemic has had on capacity, on enforcement, and in general, trends in corruption and anti-corruption around the region. From the point of view of Mexico, I think the index actually hits a, a very particular sweet spot between setting clear guidelines of things that are being measured, such as how the judiciary acts and how th laws are implemented and things that are very concrete, but also giving us a clear interpretation of how that relates to the state of corruption in a specific society. In Mexico, at least, there's a huge public discussion about how corruption is actually preventing sanitary measures from being implemented or even plans for the near future to be developed because there, there are no clear procedures for the government to, for example, come up with a specific contract for medical equipment. And maybe they exist, but they're not implemented. So for all effects and purposes, it's as if they didn't exist. And in this case, the index allows us to look at concrete things that could change, which would impact that. I have been in the situation where I've, I've worked in the Mexican government back in the day, and people would ask, so we Mexico did really badly in so-and-so index that measures perception. How can we improve it? And there really was nothing to do except shudder. And in this case... There are things that people can point out to, especially in public discourse about what could be done. And it becomes clear when the government knows these things are being talked about and still do nothing about it. Tomas, what's happening in Brazil? Well, I think the COVID-19 situation is obviously adding a lot of fuel to the fire by just increasing the corruption risks associated with policymaking. Many governments from the national to local level are being forced to engage in emergency procurements and that fall outside, you know, the typical anti-corruption measures that governments have on let's call it normal times. And this obviously creates a lot of room for graft and corruption. We have seen that emerging in Brazil, as in many other countries, with a series of corruption scandals, particularly evolving around, you know, emergency purchase of medical equipment and ventilators and so forth. And this is certainly a concern. And I think there's a medium to long-term additional concern that I would point out is around the country's fiscal position. So Latin America was already in a weak fiscal position 
prior to the pandemic. And obviously, you know, these quite dreadful GDP forecasts that we're seeing are bound to have an impact on public finances across the region. And if governments decide eventually to, you know, place the austerity on some of these institutions who are spearheading the anti-corruption initiative, you know, anti-corruption bodies or the judiciary or other watchdogs. Obviously, this could be uh, potentially harmful to the region's capacity to combat corruption as a whole. It's interesting to see, or disturbing rather than interesting, that many of the corruption scandals that have happened across the region, which Tomás was referring to. So we have, you know, at least three governors in Brazil that have suffered search and seizure operations and from the federal police have, you know, over a third of the governors in Colombia under investigation. The Minister of Health in Bolivia has been imprisoned and, and the list goes on and on. And it's quite disturbing to see that on the, you know, on the heels of such a strong anti-corruption drive, which seems to suggest that there are still some fragilities, certainly on the enforcement front. The second point I just want to make is that certainly for companies, almost without exception, the fraud and corruption scheme, so that also involves... Uh, overpricing and, and cartel formation and the like. But many of them, I would say, involve third parties. And we all know, at least in the compliance space, how important it is to track and monitor and, and, and look into your third parties. Third party misbehavior, so to speak, has just absolutely exploded across the region. Here, let's stay with you for a second. And as we move towards the end of the podcast, let's just move on to really the so what question and, and, and the key takeaways from the index. You know, you're a business with a footprint in a country that scores really well on the index, or you're a business with a footprint in a country that scores really poorly on the index. Tell us what business should be getting out of this report. It's an interesting question because for some companies, they look at the index and they say, okay, so your index tells me that there is less capacity in Mexico, for example, than in Brazil to combat corruption. And therefore, I run less risk in that country if I misbehave. And we certainly wouldn't be recommending clients do that. Unfortunately, some companies may think that way. What I think is more important, however, is that the index shows how volatile and how quickly things change in Latin America and how intrinsically linked political and corruption risks are. It's so critical to understand what's happening in the political landscape because that determines what ultimately happens in the enforcement landscape, which determines the overall exposure levels of companies there are a couple of other things which I would mention as well, but I think that's a real key takeaway. So we have representatives basically from the two largest economies in the region. When you're talking to clients and you're talking about the index, Tomas in Brazil, Francisco in Mexico, what are the most important things for businesses in those two absolutely critical jurisdictions? Well, Jeff, I think one of the key takeaways for Brazil and also for the other countries is that companies can use metrics and measurable criteria to associate or to gauge the level of corruption risk they are exposed. This can be done through multiple ways. One of that is highlighted by the CCC on a country per country basis, but this can be developed and adapted to a company's specific footprint in a country. So understand regional exposures or changes, for example, from one sector to another. Francisco, what's the main takeaway in Mexico? I'd say in Mexico, it has to do with two things. The first is finding the concrete things that affect corruption and anti-corruption enforcement in, in the specific country. And the other one is figuring out where the pressure for anti-corruption advances is coming from. 
in Mexico, there's sometimes a difficulty in discussing the topic of corruption because mainly directed at people not and companies not necessarily knowing what the reality is and how it relates to whatever the president is saying that day because our president has multiple press conferences every single day. So a lot of things get said and not much gets done. And a huge discussion that emanates from this index has to do with looking at specific things that they can track and that have an impact on the corruption environment. For example, how does the judiciary react to cases that involve the president's allies or the president's enemies? Or how civil society reacts to having a specific case that they are publishing and whether if the government allows them to investigate it. That kind of thing gives us a more solid view of how corruption actually works in a specific context, in this case, Mexico. The other part has to do with how sometimes the concrete discussion is actually quite different from what the government is saying. And contextual analysis, very much related to what Geert was saying about political risk, is sometimes something that has to be tracked very carefully and quite constantly. Francisco, thank you. Regards to everyone in Mexico City, it's been great talking. Thank you. Tomas Favaro in Sao Paulo, thank you very much for joining. Thank you. Geert, it's always a pleasure. Please say hi to everybody in Sao Paulo for me. Thanks for dialing in. I will. Thanks very much, Chuck. That's all for this episode of The Global Insight. Stay updated with new episodes of The Global Insight every other week by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as our five-part series on regional risks in conjunction with our 2020 Risk Map Update. You can follow all our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com. Thanks for listening, and goodbye for now.